Hey, good morning, and uh, welcome again to Veritas. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Ryan, and I uh, serve here as one of the pastors, and just want to welcome you uh, and let you know that we're really, really grateful uh, that you're here and that you chose to be with us this morning. Uh, if you are new with us, we have been walking uh, in a series through the book of Genesis, and this morning we're in Genesis uh, chapter 39, and so you can make your way there. If you're new and you don't have a Bible, um, we would love to give one to you. We've got some black hardback Bibles on that table over there. Just grab one of those and keep that. Uh, that's our gift to you as a church. But Genesis 39 is where we're going to be uh, looking at a real famous story. If you've uh, grown up in church, or even if you didn't grow up in church, I'm sure you probably know a little bit about this story, the story of Joseph uh, and Potiphar's wife. And so let's look at this story together uh, and see what God might have to say to us from it. Genesis 39, starting in verse 1, the very word of God to us today, it speaks to us like this. It says, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he's brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home, and she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. 
And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Well, three things I think we see in this text this morning. First, we see that Joseph is faithful in Potiphar's house, and then he's faithful with Potiphar's wife, and then finally, he's faithful in Pharaoh's prison. And so, uh, last week, the camera kind of shifted off of Joseph and focused on Judah and Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar. Uh, Now, the camera shifts back to Joseph, where it'll really be for the rest of the book of Genesis, and it kind of catches us back up on his story, and it reminds us that Joseph has been sold into slavery in Egypt. Uh, In Egypt, he's been bought by a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is a captain of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt's army. And so this is a really important and powerful guy, and Joseph is a slave in his house. And and verse 2 tells us that the Lord was with Joseph, blessing Joseph, causing everything that Joseph did to succeed, so much so that he kind of gives Joseph the Midas touch, like whatever Joseph touches turns into gold. So much so that, uh, Pharaoh, that Potiphar just keeps rising him up in the house and giving him more responsibility until he basically comes, becomes like the executive administrator, the chief of operations of Potiphar's house. He, he keeps rising up and getting more responsibility until literally Potiphar entrusts him with everything in his house. He has no concern over it, everything except the food that he ate, and he just says, Joseph will handle it. I don't even have to worry about it. Now, now, something I want you to see here is that this is a direct fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, God promised Abraham that he would bless him and his family so that they would be a blessing to all of the nation. This is what God is doing through Joseph. Notice again verse 5. It says that the Lord blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that Potiphar had. God is using Joseph to bless this Egyptian and these Egyptian servants and his household, the nations in direct fulfillment of this promise to Abraham. And look in this, I think we actually see a little bit of our own calling as well. Uh, Because as part of the family of Abraham through Jesus, just like Joseph, we are called to be a blessing to others. The the blessing of God that we have received was never meant to stop on us. It was meant to spread through us out to others. We have been blessed by God to be a blessing to others, to share that blessing with others. And notice, uh, both God and Joseph are at work to bless Potiphar and his household here. Yes, God is blessing and giving Joseph favor so that everything he touches succeeds, but Joseph is so faithful and trustworthy in his responsibilities that he just keeps getting handed more responsibilities, so much so that everybody's like, I don't even have to worry about it. I know Joseph will take care of it. And notice also, God is using Joseph to bless somebody in something that's much more like business than ministry work. Right, like this is outside of the church, outside of the people of God. God is using Joseph to bless uh, an unbelieving boss and unbelieving servants and employees here. I think some of us think that if we're really going to be faithful and obedient to God, then, then that has to be work done in the church and for the church to serve the church. But look, that's just not the case. 
God has put you where he has put you with the job and the work and the responsibilities and the power and the influence that he has given you to use all of those things to be a blessing to others. And when you partner with God to bless others in your work, you're actually partnering with him in his redemption and restoration of all things. You are partnering with him to faithfully serve in this way. And so this, this really is our calling when it comes to our work. We're, we're just called to be faithful to God wherever God has us. Now, in saying that, I'm, I'm not saying that that means that we can't ever leave a job or can't ever move to a new place so that we've got to stay in an awful situation, but I, I am saying that it means that we are called to be faithful to God wherever we're at while we're there. Maybe you've got a really terrible job right now. So did Joseph. Uh, being a slave is not great, Bob, uh, but he doesn't complain about where he's at, does he? He just keeps showing up faithfully and working day after day after day. And notice it says that the reason Potiphar sees that the Lord is with Joseph and blessing him is because of how faithfully Joseph serves and works for and blesses Potiphar. Like the best witness for Jesus that you might have at your workplace is not by you constantly trying to force a gospel conversation with your boss or with your coworkers. Uh, it might just be you being such a trustworthy, responsible, and faithful employee that it causes your boss and your coworkers to ask, like, what makes you so different? Why are you so focused on others and not yourself? Why do you not cut corners like everybody else does? Why do you care so much about this? Uh, or maybe you're the superior at work, and the way that you do this is by loving and serving your employees so much that it causes them to ask, like, why do you treat us like this? We've never had a boss that treats us like this. Why are you so gracious towards us? Why are you so patient with us? Why are you so kind? Like, you should focus on being such a faithful, responsible, and trustworthy employee that it opens up conversations about Jesus. That when uh, somebody knows they need someone they can trust, you are the first name on the list. That, that it would open up these conversations as we're faithful to do this. And look, like, I, I know a, a lot of you are pursuing roles that are going to do this, that like Joseph are going to give you a lot of power and influence and responsibility. And hear me, like that's a gift. That is a good gift from God. Because what we see here in Joseph's story is that power and influence and responsibility aren't bad things in and of themselves. The question is, how are you going to use it? Yes, power and responsibility and influence, if you get promoted into these things, they bring unique temptations, but it's a gift that God has given you that you can either use to serve him by serving and blessing others or that you can abuse by using to serve yourself. And so the question is, how will you use it? You can hate your job and you can complain about it and you can focus about yourself or like Joseph, you can work hard and work differently, seeking to be a witness at your work by the way you bless and serve and faithfully carry out your responsibilities towards others. Joseph is faithful in Potiphar's house, but that's not the only thing that we see about Joseph in this text. We also see that Joseph is faithful with Potiphar's wife. Because the back half of verse 6 tells us that Joseph, he's a looker. I mean, he's well-built, he's handsome, he's jacked, he's been doing his push-ups. I mean, he's just a really great-looking guy. 
And, and as he's kind of rising up in the house, Potiphar's wife notices him, and, and she begins to take a liking towards him. And, and she's not shy about it either. She comes right up to him, and she's like, hey, I want you to sleep with me today. Uh, but Joseph refuses her advance, and he says, no, how could I do that? Your husband has made me in charge of everything in this house. The only thing he hasn't given me charge over is you because you're his wife. How could I do this great wickedness and sin against God in this way? And so he doesn't give in to the temptation. Uh, but it's not just once that she does this. Verse 10 tells us that day after day after day, she is doing this. She's coming up to Joseph and saying, come on, won't you sleep with me today? Won't you please have sex with me today? But Joseph just continues to refuse her. Uh, but one day, it seems like she sends all the other servants out of the house and kind of catches Joseph by surprise when he's alone in the house. And she's even more forward this time. She grabs him by his clothes and really kind of rips his shirt off, it seems like. And she's like, I want you to have sex with me right now. But, but once again, Joseph refuses. He literally hightails it out of there and leaves his clothes in the house. He literally does what Paul tells us to do, and he flees sexual immorality. He, he refuses, and he gets out of the house. Uh, but once this happens, Potiphar's wife seizes her opportunity to falsely accuse Joseph, first to the other servants and employees, and then to her husband. She tells the servants first, look, my husband has brought in this foreigner to try to make a mockery of us and assault us. He tried to assault me, uh, but when I screamed, he got scared and he ran out of the house. But look, he left his clothes that he took off trying to assault me in the house. Uh, and when Potiphar gets home from work, she tells him the exact same story. And, and Potiphar is furious about this, and so he has Joseph thrown in the prison. Now, a few things I, I want us to see from this part of the text. First, I, I know that this story has often been used as an example of how women will falsely accuse men uh, of sexual assault and harassment. And even if you've never heard this story interpreted this way, I think just where we're at in our cultural moment, uh, it's easy for us to kind of read a story like this and, and read it as, oh, here's an example of this awful woman trying to bring a good man down. And look, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. I'm not saying that false accusations don't happen. Clearly, they do. Uh, but what I'm saying is that's the wrong way to read this text. The, the most important dynamic in this text to understand what's going on here is not that Joseph is a man and that uh, Potiphar's wife is a woman. What's most important to understand this text is the power dynamics that are at work here. I mean, think about this. Joseph is a slave. He has no recourse here. What's he going to do? Is he going to go to the HR department and, and be able to file a complaint about her sexually harassing him? Like, what is he going to do? Is he going to go to Potiphar and say, hey, boss, uh, thanks for all the new responsibilities. Really loving the job. Uh, one thing, your wife won't tr stop trying to sleep with me. Is there anything we could do about that? Do you know what Potiphar's going to do about that? He's going to have him killed or have him thrown in prison. Now look, once again, I'm not saying that false accusations don't happen. They do. I I'm just saying that when claims of sexual abuse and harassment come up, look at the power dynamics that are in play. Those who don't have the power in the relationship have so much to lose by bringing their story of sexual harassment and assault forward. Uh, they have so often been 
fired from their jobs, mistreated, shamed, or worse. And they've seen the way that other people not in power who have brought their stories forward have been mocked and shamed and re-victimized over and over and over to protect somebody who's in power and keep them in their position of power. There is so much working against somebody uh, bringing forward a claim of sexual abuse and, and harassment, their story of what happened to them, that if they are not the person who has the power in the relationship, the vast likelihood is that they're telling the truth. And beyond that, like it's really not up to us personally to investigate those claims of whether or not they're telling the truth. When a claim of sexual abuse or assault or harassment comes up, we report that to the proper authorities. We take that to the proper channels. We don't play judge and jury. And so that's the first thing we see here. But second, we also see that Joseph is an incredible model for us of how to resist temptation. I mean, think about this. Like, he, he is a slave separated from his family in a foreign country. As a slave, he probably has no prospects of marriage in the future. He's away from everything he has ever known, and this powerful woman is throwing herself at him, making herself available to him, and not just once. Day after day after day, she is doing this. Uh, many of us can resist a temptation if we're only faced with it one time, but, but how many of us can go days and weeks and months and even years facing the same temptation and not giving in? And beyond that, think about how easy this would have been for Joseph to rationalize this and do this. I mean, surely he's got to know uh, Potiphar's wife could make life a living hell for him. Like, surely he's got to know she could ruin me. It's probably in my best interest to sleep with her. Maybe that could even advance me even further in the house. And he's the COO of Potiphar's house. He could arrange all of the schedules to get all of the servants out of the house so that he could get some time alone with Potiphar's wife where no one would ever know. But he doesn't do that. Day after day after day, he refuses. He, he's faithful with his temptation and he never gives in. How does he do that? Well, I think the text gives us a few ways how and shows us how he does this. First, he doesn't flirt with sin. Uh, did, did you notice verse 10? It says that he would not uh, lie, listen to her to lie with her or to be beside her. I, I don't think that's being repetitive there. I think that's saying that Joseph, yes, he wouldn't sleep with her, but he also wouldn't get in the bed with her either. It's kind of a first step towards that. Now, now, so many of us do the exact opposite with our sin. We think we can get as close to it as possible because we're adults. I mean, we can handle it. But, but that's not what we see with Joseph here. Joseph knows the truth of what Proverbs will say later on in the biblical story, that you cannot scoop hot coals into your lap and not get burned. And, and so he doesn't flirt with sin. He doesn't give it an opportunity. He resists it. But, but even deeper than that, the deepest reason he gives for why he's resisting this sin and, and this temptation is what he says in verse 9 when he tells her, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now look, I, I think many of us think the fight against sin is just a fight to try to drum up more willpower to say no to it, but that's not what we see here in Joseph. What we see here in Joseph is that our fight against sin is ultimately about desire. 
He, he does not say, I know I'm not supposed to have sex with you. Just say no. Just say no. Just say no. No, he says, how could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? God is what is uppermost in Joseph's thoughts and heart and affections right now. God and his relationship to God is way more valuable to Joseph uh, than any pleasure he might get from sleeping with Potiphar's wife. And so look, this is how we fight sin. The, the fight against sin is not just a fight to say no to it, it's a fight to say yes to something better. Uh, a, a Puritan, Thomas Chalmers, he preached a famous sermon about this idea, and he called it the expulsive power of a new affection. And what he meant by that is that if we're going to change our sinful behaviors and, and desires and actions, then the way to do that is by changing what you love. And, and the way you change what you love is by finding a greater love than the thing that you're currently loving. Because what he argued, and what I think the Bible argues, is that a greater love for Jesus will drive out, it will uh, expulse out uh, this desire that you have for sin and these sinful desires, that the expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, I wanted to be in the NBA and play in the NBA when I grew up. And I know you look at me and you're really surprised that that didn't end up happening. Uh, but when you're just kind of average height and you're not very fast and you can't really dribble or shoot, it's going to be pretty hard to do that. Those are all pretty important things. Uh, but growing up, man, I, I really loved playing basketball and watching basketball. But as I got into high school, our, our baseball team was really good. And so over the four years I was in high school, uh, I started to love baseball more and focus on baseball more. And, and about halfway through high school, I actually quit basketball so I could focus on baseball. And I, I'm not really, like, I'm, I'm pretty lazy by nature. I'm not really like a morning person or an evening person. I'm an I want to sleep person. Uh, but I would get up uh, during school to get to school at six in the morning to hit in the cage or lift weights before school, and then I'd stay late after practice. And when I wasn't practicing or playing baseball, I would be daydreaming about baseball, thinking uh, about baseball, and I really stopped thinking about or, or caring about basketball at all. And, and even now, uh, now that baseball is kind of long gone out of my life and I don't play that anymore, even still, I, I really don't think about basketball. I've, I don't really enjoy watching it that much anymore either. I've really basically kind of completely moved on from it. Now, that didn't happen because I sat down one day in high school and tried really hard to stop thinking about basketball. It happened because I found something that I loved more. I found something that I wanted to give more of my time and energy and affection to more. And as I did that, it just drove out any thoughts about basketball in my life at all. So I don't think about it or spend time on it anymore. The same thing is true here, that the fight against sin is not a fight to just try harder to say no to it. It's a fight to get our eyes and our heart and our mind on something better, something we love more. It's a fight to get our eyes and our heart and our mind on Jesus so that a love for him would drive out a love for sin. Because when God becomes more valuable to you, sin loses its power in your life. This is what we see in Joseph. He, he's faithful. He's saying, how could I do this and sin against God? I just want to know God. I just want to be close to God. I just want to have more of him. And so Joseph gives us this incredible model and example of what it looks like to resist temptation. But here's the problem with that. I think if we're honest with ourselves in here this morning, uh, we don't look very much like Joseph in this story. 
I would have guessed that the story of our lives is not one episode of faithfulness after the other, one episode of victory against sin after another. The story of our lives is much more a story of one step forward followed up by two or three or four steps back. Like we give in to sin, we fall to temptation, we struggle to be faithful both in big things and in little things. Like we're faithless and not very faithful. Where is the hope for us? Well, the good news is that Joseph is not just a model for us in this story. He's also an arrow pointing beyond himself to someone greater. Maybe you noticed as we read through the text that Moses is presenting Joseph like a new Adam here. God blesses Joseph just like he blessed Adam. Joseph's raised up to second in command just like Adam was. Uh, Joseph is given all of these things. Uh, he says when he uh, talks to Potiphar's wife, notice that he says, the only thing that my master has held back from me is you. What does that sound like? That sounds like what God told Adam and Eve in the garden, that any tree in the garden was theirs to eat from except this one. And, and notice also it says that Joseph ref refused to listen to the voice of Potiphar's wife, unlike Adam who listened to the voice of Eve and through that plunged the world into sin. Joseph looks like a new Adam, the one who's going to come and be the savior of the world, but Joseph can't be the new Adam. Uh, he's a sinner. We've already seen this in chapter 37, and we saw last week that the savior is going to come through Judah's line and not Joseph. Joseph cannot save us, but in Joseph's life, God is giving us a picture of the one who will. You see, because just like Joseph, Jesus will be tempted with much greater temptations than Joseph ever faced. Joseph is just a dim shadow of what Jesus will be. Joseph sinned, but Jesus was always faithful. He never sinned, ever. He lived in complete faithfulness to God his entire life. And after living in complete faithfulness to God his entire life, he went to the cross and he laid down his life as an offering and a substitute for us. You see, Joseph was not always faithful. Joseph can't save us, but Jesus can. And we have been unfaithful. We have been sinners, but Jesus was not. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus can actually unite us to himself and give us his faithfulness. You see, union with Jesus is such a precious truth because it means that when you put your faith in Jesus, you are united to him and all that is his becomes yours. He takes your sin and unfaithfulness upon himself and pays for it. And in exchange, he gives you his faithful righteousness. And so now when God looks at us, he does not see our sin and unfaithfulness. He sees the faithfulness of his son, Jesus. And it's actually the faithfulness of Jesus given to us that, that can change us and can make us a faithful people. Because the faithfulness of Jesus given to us gives us the confidence to know, uh, to, to get back up when we sin and keep following after God because we know that there's nothing we can do that would take us out of the hands of Jesus. There's no sin we can commit that would make God change his mind about us because our righteousness is not found in ourselves, it's found in Jesus. This is the good news that this passage gives to us, and it's great news. But it isn't the end of the story, both for Joseph or for us. 
Uh, Because Joseph is faithful in this ordeal, in this temptation with Potiphar's wife, but his reward for that faithfulness is to be falsely accused and thrown into prison. I think just by kind of default, we all have a little bit of prosperity gospel in us, this idea that says, if I'm obedient to God and I do what God says, then life's generally going to go well for me. But that's not what we see here in Joseph, is it? Like, he's completely obedient to God in this matter, And his life gets way worse. Like his circumstances get way worse. He ends up in a pit. Man, but but even in this pit, God is still with Joseph and he's still being faithful to to him, still showing him steadfast love. How many of us would get in a situation like this and be like, yep, forget this. I tried to follow God, I did what he told me to do, and it ended up going for me like this, like my life stinks, this is awful, forget this, I'm not doing this anymore. Not Joseph. He's faithful in all of this ordeal, he's faithful no matter where God has him, he just continues to obey. Now, and I think this should be an encouragement to us because no matter where Joseph is at, whether he's in the heights in Potiphar's house or he's in the depths in the prison, he's still faithful to God. He's just consistent no matter where he finds himself. And look, you can do the same thing. Listen, you you may not have the job that you want right now. You may not be in the city or the duty station that you want to be in right now. Your life may have not turned out like you wanted it to right now, but you can be faithful wherever God has you. Listen, you don't need to know the five-year plan for your life or have that figured out. God has that figured out. You just need to trust him and be faithful where he has you today. Look, maybe you've got a terrible job. So did Joseph. Uh, Psalm 105 says that uh, he was in chains and in prisons in this pit. He was not glamping down here in the prison but yet he's still faithful. He's still obedient to God where he has him. And and what we see from Joseph's story is that he didn't just start this when he got in the prison. No, he was building the blocks of faithfulness to God each and every day. I love the story of Daniel in in the lion's den in Daniel chapter 6. The other leaders want to bring a charge against Daniel, but nothing will stick because he's so faithful. Uh, And so they have the king write up an edict that for the next 30 days, anybody who bows down to, prays, or worships another god besides the king should be thrown into a pit of lions. And it tells us that after that edict comes out, Daniel goes up to his window, faces towards Jerusalem, and prays towards the temple three times a day, just like he had done previously. He, He didn't start that once the edict came out as a way to try to get them to persecute him, Now, he was building the blocks of faithfulness before that moment ever came. And Joseph did the same thing here. He was just faithful no matter where God had him, and it allowed him to be faithful to God in this matter when he got put in the prison. And so I want us to see that, but even more than that, I want you to notice what God is doing in here. Like, did you see, did you notice that God gives Joseph favor in the prison and in the, the eyes of the prison keeper, so much so that Joseph is made the guard of the prison and he's put in charge of all the other prisoners. They put a prisoner in charge of the prison. Like, how crazy is that? I'll tell you, that's crazy. 
That doesn't happen. But yet it does happen for Joseph because God is with him and God is at work in all of this. I mean, think about this. It really seems on first read like God kind of took his hands off the wheel, doesn't it? I mean, Joseph's faithful with Potiphar's wife. He doesn't give in, but yet he's rewarded for that by getting to spend time in a pit. But God was at work in all of this. What we'll see over the next few weeks in Joseph's story is that Joseph is eventually raised up out of this pit to become second in command over all of Egypt, and he saves the entire known world during a famine that is going to come. But none of that would have happened if God had not been meticulously and sovereignly working all of these things out to put Joseph in that position. Go back to the beginning of Joseph's story. If Joseph's brothers don't sell him into slavery, uh, he never makes it to Egypt. If he never makes it to Egypt, he's never bought by Potiphar, uh, the captain of the Pharaoh's army. If he doesn't rise up to second in command in Potiphar's house, his Potiphar's wife probably never notices him. And if Potiphar's wife never notices him and Joseph isn't faithful to resist her, he's probably never falsely accused and put in this prison. And if Joseph is never put in this prison, he will never hear uh, the dreams of Pharaoh. He'll never hear and interpret the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer that are about to join him in prison in the next chapter. If he never hears and interprets rightly the dreams of Pharaoh's baker and cupbearer in the prison, then two years later, when Pharaoh has a dream that he can't interpret, Pharaoh's cupbearer won't remember Joseph and remember how Joseph rightly interpreted his dream and tell Pharaoh about him. If that doesn't happen, Pharaoh will never call Joseph out of the pit to interpret his dream. Uh, he'll never appoint him as second in command to store up food for the famine that's going to come. And if that doesn't happen, uh, the famine will wipe out the entire known world. Egypt and the Israelites will die out. The line of Israel will perish and Jesus will not come into the world. But all of this does happen because God is so sovereign and so meticulously at work. God had not abandoned Joseph in this prison. He was with Joseph in this prison, using him and preparing him to be the Savior of the world so that Jesus, the true Savior of the world, could come. But listen, Joseph has no idea that any of that is going to happen while he's down here in the pit. We know the end of Joseph's story, but he does not. And yet he's still faithful to God. He's still obedient. And here's the good news. You and I have even more reason and power to be faithful to God wherever he has us than Joseph ever did. Because not only do we know the end of Joseph's story when he didn't, in a way we really know the end of our story as well because we know the end of Jesus' story and we are in him. You see, just like Joseph, Jesus will be falsely accused. He'll have his clothes ripped off of him, and he will be thrown into a pit. But just like Joseph, all these things would be serving our salvation. Because just like Joseph, Jesus will eventually rise up out of this pit so that he can save the world. And so in Jesus, we may not know the specifics of how our life is going to play out, but we do know that our story ends with resurrection. We do know that our story ends in eternal life with Jesus and his people forever, no matter what happens to us in the meantime. And so look, maybe right now, 
you feel aimless and you feel purposeless. Like I get up and I do the same thing every day. And it's just boring. I'm not impacting anything. I'm not making a difference. I'm just wasting my time. You're not. You're not. Like who had more reason to think that than Joseph as he's languishing in this pit, but yet God was using him and God was at work. I've heard this said so many times, I don't know who it's original to, but it's just true. God is doing about 10,000 things in and through your life right now, and you might be able to be aware of maybe one or two of them. But just because you're not aware of them doesn't mean that God is not at work. And so here's the really cool thing. Like, you don't know what God is preparing you for right now. You, you don't know how God is going to use your circumstances and your story and your sufferings and your hurts and your everyday ordinary faithfulness to him. You don't know how God is going to use it, but we can know that if we will just walk in ordinary, everyday faithfulness to Jesus, we can know that because of the resurrection, he will use it. That, that faithfulness to Jesus is never wasted. It's never in vain. And one day in eternity, we will get to look back and see all the ways that God used ordinary people like us to stir up other people's faith in Jesus, to bring people that were far from Jesus back home to him, uh, to serve and bless others so that they might know and see and receive the love of Jesus. We'll get to see how God was weaving all of our hurts, all of our circumstances, all of our struggles and pains and sorrows into this beautiful story of redemption in our lives, how what everyone else might have meant for evil, he meant for good. And we might even get the grace that Joseph did of getting to look back at the end of our lives and see how God was at work in all of these things. I don't know, but I do know that this is worth giving your life to that faithfulness to Jesus is never wasted. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for this good news. That even if um, our everyday ordinary faithfulness gets us into the pit, you've gone there before us, you've gone there for us, and you've conquered death uh, in our place so that we would not be defeated by it. Jesus, thank you that you don't just give us an example of how to try harder and do better. You are our Savior whose faithfulness covers over and pays for all of our unfaithfulness. And Jesus, thank you that you can make us faithful. And so would you do that? Would you make us a faithful people who are just faithful wherever you have us, wherever you call us, whatever you give us to do. Help us to be obedient. God, please do so in and through us as a people, as a church. How would you do that even this week? Would we, uh, over the coming weeks and months, get to celebrate stories of how the faithfulness of men and women in this room opened up conversations to talk about Jesus and to talk about what you've done in our lives and how you're making us new? God, please do that in us. Please use your word powerfully and effectively to make it so. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.